after the service today, we're, uh, there are a couple of people that would like to be anointed, and so we're going to do that. And if, if that's something that, that you sense that you would like uh, as well, you can just prepare, prepare your mind for that, that we're going to be doing that, okay? But before we do that, we are going to, we're going to look into the Word. And um, two weeks ago, I wasn't with you last week, um, Mary and I uh, had to do some things in the north, take care of some business in the north. Um, it, it may have appeared as a vacation, but I tell you, it was not. <laughs> I, Well, you know what, you know what, Linda, that brings to mind. One t- back in the back in the mid seventies, uh, you know, Pastor Claire and Becky and and Mary and their family, they spent seven years in southern Alabama, okay, Bruton, Alabama, which is just not far across the the Florida border. I mean, we we were in we were in Crimson Tide country, okay, all right. So I'm sitting at the dinner table with this friend of Pastor Claire's who's born and raised in, in southern Alabama. He looked at me and he said, he said, uh, he called me a Yankee. <laughs> called me a Yankee. And I said, I looked at him right across, without batting an eye, I looked across the table at him and I said, I might be a Yankee but I drove 500 miles north to get to you. <laughs> and he never forgot that for years after. Every time he'd see me, I'd just never forget where you came back at me and told me. So I, it, Tennessee might be in the south, but I drove 800 miles north to get there. <laughs> All right. Let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, as we look into your word today, I pray that our eyes and our ears, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, and our spiritual heart will be open to hear what you have to say to us today. This part of your word that we're going to look at today is no less powerful than any other part, but it is just stands out today as a powerful, a powerful section of your word that we need to grasp a hold of. We need to grasp a hold of it. Help us to do that. Help the word that we hear today to just penetrate down into the depths of our spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I told you two weeks ago that when we talked about this section of the, of the, the book of Romans, that it would, it would be necessary for us to do an attitude adjustment. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be, I'm going to start in verse 26 because I want to remind you of where we were two weeks ago because I know last week as Brother Richard preached to you, he preached to you, I believe, out of Timothy, as I recall. And uh, we want to come back into the book of Romans now and we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, this is, this is how it begins. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, 
but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot be uttered. In other words, we have, there is within all of us a weakness that we don't know how to pray for ourselves. Our, our prayers will most often default to what we think we need. And what we really need is what God knows we need, what God wants to give us, what God wants to do for us. And I'm just going to say this, and we're going to get into this a little bit more as we go along. What God knows we need oftentimes requires us to walk through unpleasant times. But God knows what we need. Now the Spirit is interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. He's praying for us in ways that we don't understand. It goes on. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit is not interceding according to what we think we want, but He's interceding for us in accordance with the will of God. That's where we left off two weeks ago. But the thought continues on. In in verse 28 it says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, one thing that we have to understand about, about God, I'm going I'm to say this because and I, I mentioned it a bit in my prayer, but I want, I want to reemphasize this. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The the gift of God that came, the gift of God, Jesus, who came to earth for the express purpose to die on the cross for us, for our sins, was God's ultimate expression of his love for us. I heard I was uh, I've read I read this book years ago. I haven't read it in the last few years, but I've read it a couple of times. But um, and I often mention this book. Uh, it's called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. It's one of the <laughs> I think it's one of the greatest books ever written by a human being. There's very few of those around, but this is one of them. And uh, um, in that book, his his daughter, his 16 year old daughter, was diagnosed with cancer. And he began to doubt God. He began to doubt God's love for him. And he said, at one point in time, the Lord just spoke to his heart. And he said this, When my son stretched his arms out on the cross and gave his life for the sins of the world, for your sins and for your daughters, don't you Ever doubt me again that I love you. 
don't ever doubt me again that I love you. The things that God <clears throat> the things that God does for us the the what God is trying to accomplish in us I'm going this this is a news flash the things that God is trying to accomplish in us are not there to make us happy. His happiness, I mean, your happiness is not His highest goal. It, oh, let's back the truck up. You're telling me that God's expression of His ultimate love for me was Jesus dying on the cross, but that my happiness is not His ultimate goal. No, it isn't. You see, God is at work in our lives, allowing things to come into our lives, things that we are going to experience. And not all of them are going to be pleasant. Not all of them are going to be what we would choose if we if God was to give us a list and say you can pick you know five things on this list that you we would not pick bad things we would pick the things that would that would make us happy but his what he's doing is he's taking the things that come into our lives and the bible says he works those things for our good He's not working them for our evil. He's not working them for, our, for what is bad for us. He is working them for what is good for us. He's taking what could be a negative and He is working it for our good. To those who love Him, to ha- who have been called according to His purpose. There's much more I could say there, but I want to get through this. Listen to this. Because here's here's what his goal is for us. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Do you know what God's goal for you is? Not to make you happy. Your happiness is not His goal. He wants you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, you can just do a cursory reading of the New Testament and you will find in a number of places the Bible says that Jesus was obedient even unto death. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus himself said at one point, he said, the prince of this this world is coming. He has no power over me. Listen to what he said. But the world must know that I do exactly what my Father tells me to do. That I love the Father and that I do exactly what He tells me to do. And what did the Father say? Son, 
I'm sorry, I cannot bypass the cross. You must go through the cross. Father, is there any way that you can have this cup pass for me? No, son, there isn't. Okay, not my will, but your will be done. You see, now what God is doing in us and for us is he is he wants to conform us to the image of his and the likeness of his son and if we are going to be like Jesus then we are going to have to learn obedience and learning obedience doesn't come easily parents How easy was it for you to get your children to obey you as they were growing up? Really? And you are no different with your Heavenly Father. For those that God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called, and those He called, He also justified, and those He justified, He also glorified. So now let's look let's just look at this whole scenario that we've been that we've been talking about. <clears throat> so we go back in, in, in chapter eight. Chapter eight begins and it says, There is thou therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We talked about that. And later on we found that the that the word says that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Wow. And then, <clears throat> and then it talks about what we just mentioned at the very beginning, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness where we don't know how to pray. And we don't know how to pray and the Spirit prays for us. And then we read that he, that God is working all things out for our good through all the things that happen. He's working them out for our good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. He tells us that we have been predestined to conform to the image of His Son. Look at what Paul writes here. What shall... What then shall we say in response to that? What do you say? How do you respond to that? How do you respond to there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus? How do you respond to the verse that's to the words that say that his spirit is dwelling in us, the spirit of the living God, and he testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. How do you respond to the fact that the spirit is praying for you when you don't know how to pray? How do you respond to the fact that, that God is working everything out for you? 
for your good because he cannot work it out any other way because everything that he does comes out of his holiness. How do you respond to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you you, you get that? God is for us. He's not against us. God's not looking at you and trying, let me see what I can, let me see what I can do to just mess their life up. It's exactly the opposite. He's doing things and he's working them out in our lives for our good. And because his ways are so far above our ways, and His thoughts are so far above our thoughts, we as human beings, we begin to think about what, why, when, where, and how, and boom, we hit a ceiling, and we can't go any further. Our minds stop working. They hit this ceiling, and we go, whoa, if I can't get past this, then that means there's got to be something wrong and not right. And God says, you don't understand what I'm trying to do. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far above your thoughts are my thoughts. And my ways above your ways. How do you respond to that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Folks, that takes an attitude adjustment. There is no one who can be against me. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Why? Because God is for you. Because you're His child. You belong to Him. You've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. You are His. And He is for you. Jesus said, you can't, if you don't love Me, you can't say you love the Father. Because you, you understand? If you don't love Me, you don't love the Father. If you don't obey Me, you don't obey the Father. He is for us. Because we have responded to the call and we have been justified and we have been sanctified and we, have, and we are yet to be glorified but we will one day be glorified. Who can be against us? Now listen to these. I'll tell you. I, Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture. It's one of those times when I read this passage of Scripture again and there was just something, it just jumps out of the page. It's not that I never read it before. It's not that I didn't understand it before. It's just it jumped out. Listen to what he says. Do you understand? Have we gotten this? Have we got this? He is for us. He's not against us. Listen to these words. Listen to what Paul writes here. He who did not spare his own son 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, there, when God gave Jesus, he gave the ultimate. He, he said, I'm, I'm giving the ultimate. He, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So it's not like he had a whole bunch of them. He had one, Jesus, his only begotten son, through the Virgin Mary, by the Holy Spirit. And the, Paul says here, he didn't even spare his own son. Now look, for those of you, for those of you who have sons, you know what, you, you just can't even go there, can you? You can't. You can't go there. You can't bring that into your head and make it work. Giving up your son. You can't make that work. Be honest with me. I'm right, correct? I am correct, correct? <laughs> you can't. But listen to what he said. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he was willing to give up his son, why would he keep all of these other lesser things that have, that have lesser value? Why would he keep them from us? That's why Jesus said, If your, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, would you give him a rock? If he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? I mean, you look, you look at that and you go, well, of course not, Lord. I mean, you know. He goes, if you being evil, that is, if you being less than who your heavenly Father is, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask. If he wouldn't even spare his own son, why would he hold back on these other things that you think he won't give you because you need them? You you get what happens here, folks? Let's just bring this down to where it is. There is... There is just a real... Um, even among church people, and God help us that we, we need to change this, there is a real mistrust. There's a real mistrust and a lack of understanding on how much God loves you. How much He loves us. Because when we begin to doubt His love because He doesn't give us all these other little things, we need to remember He didn't even spare His only Son. He continues and he goes, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? See, he started back in, in verse 1. He said, There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who's going to bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Do you get that? You hear that? It's God who justifies. You see, when you were justified, and to be justified, we talked about this, I think, I don't know when it was earlier this year or last year, we talked about the different shuns of the Bible, the salvation, and we talked about justification. And justification is simply being declared not guilty. It doesn't mean you aren't guilty. It simply means you've been declared not guilty. God said not guilty. Why? On the virtues of Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross, God says to those, if, you, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And at that moment, God himself, the, the, real, the real chief justice of the Supreme Court, the real one, the one that really counts, the one that makes the real decisions, not the nine-robed pseudo-judges who make really dumb decisions. I'm sorry, but they do. I'm sorry, but they do. They make really dumb decisions. Because they're not based on the truth of the Word of God. They're based on, on human wisdom. That supreme judge looked at you when you came to Christ and said, not guilty. Who, <laughs> who is going to go up to him and say, well, I think they're guilty. Who is going to stand up to the, to the God of the universe, the creator of all things, and say, I think she's guilty. I think he's guilty. God, who's going to stand up against it? No, he justifies. That's the final word. And you and I have to begin to live in the light of the fact that we have been justified. That we, there is now, therefore, no condemnation in us who, walk after the, who don't walk after the flesh, but who walk after the Spirit. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Even Jesus isn't going to condemn us because He's the one that's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Who is going to condemn? No one, because God is justified. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword. Now folks, I want to say something here. I want to say it. We, as Christians in Western culture and in America, we don't understand that. But we're going to. If Jesus tarries, and we live long enough, we're going to experience that. And when we experience it, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us anymore. Because God loves the Christians over in the Muslim countries and other places where they're having their heads chopped off because they won't renounce their faith in Jesus. God loves them just as much as He loves us. 
The problem is that the problem here is that we don't maybe we don't have enough of See over there you don't make a half-hearted you don't make a half-hearted commitment to Jesus over in those countries. You don't make a half-hearted commitment to him over there. You're either in or out. You're either, man, I'm all on board with this thing or I don't want anything to do with it, but you don't go halfway because when you're faced with when you're faced with what they're faced with, you're either in or out. If you're in, you may you may get to meet Jesus earlier than you expected, but who will separate us from the love of Christ? Does trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword, does that separate us from the love of God? When we go through that, when we experience that, does that mean that God doesn't love us anymore? No. We, we still have the love of God. Nothing. And then he goes on, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He's, what he's saying is, is there's always that danger that death may come to us at any time on any day because of our relationship and our preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the way the world looks at That's the way the world looks at and will continue to look at Christians. When we begin, when we begin as God's people to really stand up for the principles of the Word of God, the Bible says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And as the world goes one direction and we go close see the world's going to go this way and if we're going to go this way if we're going to be more like Jesus if we're going to be more conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus if we're going to conduct ourselves more like Jesus if our lives are going to emulate Jesus more folks I'm going to tell you something it can't help but butt heads with the world can't help it Because the world has this expectation and Jesus has this expectation. That's what Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says, in my kingdom, this is how we act. This is how we live. This is how we treat people. This is how we conduct ourselves. In my kingdom, this is what we do. And the world goes, what? That's stupid. In the eyes of the world, the ways of righteousness will appear stupid. The Bible says the cross is an offense to those who are, being, who are lost. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God into salvation. The world, and we're just going to end up button heads. Very quickly, I need to get through this. No. He says, no, in all these things, that is the the persecutions, the famines, the nakedness, the sword, all of those things that he mentioned, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Now folks, I want to tell you, you, you I mentioned earlier that we, this will bring us to a point where we need an attitude adjustment. You've heard all this. You've read this. You've seen the word. As we leave this place today and we go out into the world, is that how we're going to go? Or do we rise up, not in our own pride and in our own power, but man, I am a child of the King. There is no condemnation to me because I am in Christ Jesus. I have the Spirit of the living God living inside me. He's praying for me. God, the God of the universe, has declared me not guilty. Are you kidding me? I mean, we, uh, that ought to just put enough, that ought to put enough oomph in your bones that you just want to go. You didn't believe I could do that, did you? I was just a little bit worried when I decided to do it that it might, there might be a real accident here. We might have to call 9-11, but no, I'm all right. What? <laughs> See, doing it again would be showing off. The first time was just for illustration. <laughs> but I'm just, you understand that it's, it's an attitude adjustment. It, it's not something of pride. We don't walk around prideful. We walk around with the knowledge that we are the children of God, that He is living in us, that He is for us. We, do you understand? God is for us. Oh my goodness! What a powerful thought! And if He wouldn't even spare His own Son for us, why would He withhold all of the other things that He knows we need? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for the promises in Your Word. Thank You that You are for us. And that all of these things that we experience are You working out for our good so that we might be conform to the likeness of Jesus. And the more we're conformed to the likeness of Jesus, the more attractive we will be to the people of the world who are looking for something to satisfy their souls. Thank you, Lord. 
I know that there are at least a couple people that would like to be anointed. So if you would come and sit on the front row, and anyone else that would like to be anointed for healing, any, or, or something to be prayed for, for for any other reason, I want you to just, I want you to just come and, and be here, okay? And we'll pray with you. Father, we thank you. It's, it's good to be in your presence. We've asked you for a lot of things this morning. None of which are too difficult for you to do. We're excited, Father, about what you're going to do in the lives of your people. And now, Father, as we leave this place, we just want to once again lift up to you the ministries of this church. Thank you, Father, for opening up another prison for EE Prison Ministries to be involved in and and, uh, sharing the EE curriculum, the Share Your Faith curriculum. Father, I pray that there will be hundreds and hundreds of people who will come to Christ because of that ministry going into those camps. I pray, Father, for love serves. And I ask you, Lord, to just bless them in every way. Thank you for what they are doing in the Dominican Republic and the lives that are being eternally changed. We pray for our missionaries, for Chris Garris and Todd and Shelley, who are in the Middle East and Chris in the Thailand. And I just pray, Lord, So many times they come up against superstitions and misbeliefs that keep people from entering into a relationship with the Lord. And I just pray right now, by your Spirit, you will come against those superstitions and misbeliefs and allow these folks to make that decision for the Lord. I pray for the Braden and Transitional Center, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. We continue to pray that not one single girl will ever leave that place without knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Whatever it takes, Lord. We thank you for our daycare. It's been here so many years. Touched so many lives and so many families. And we just thank you for this, the summer camp that is it's just coming to an end. We thank you for, the, for the, the, the lives that are being touched there. Thank you for that ministry. Thank you for the staff. And even though we've had a shakeup in the staff, Lord, I believe you are bringing to us people who are going to do a phenomenal job and are going to reach out to these children and have a great positive impact on their lives. And now, Father, I pray that you'll take us from this place with our heads held high, not in pride, but in the knowledge that you are for us. Who can stand against us? Who will separate us? What will separate us from the love of God? Nothing. May we go in that knowledge. May the world see the light of Jesus on our face. And may we be great examples of what it means to be followers of Jesus. In your name we pray.